You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Well, good morning, everybody. As we start, um, you are here and you're missing the um, Women's World Cup final. So I just want to like applaud, many of you are like, oh, that's happening. That is happening right now. It started at 10. I don't know why they didn't consult our service schedule so we could coordinate, but I am uh, recording that. So if anyone wants to see the replay, I've got it, don't worry. But way to be at church, y'all. Way to be at church, <laughs> way to be at church and miss this beautiful thing. Um, I'm, I'm super excited to watch this World Cup. I'm always excited to watch the women's national team because they're actually a really incredible team. Have you ever watched them play? It's, it's unbelievable. They're all like really excellent players. In fact, each of those players are the best players that this country has to offer to women's soccer. And they all are on this field. But what makes them so wonderful, so amazing, the reason I think they're in the, the Women's World Cup final today is not because how individually talented each of them are, but what they can do as a team together. The mojo they have, the magic that they have together, the way that they work for one another. Another way to say this that magic element, that thing, solidarity. Like a, a functioning, real-life solidarity in a team. And if you've ever played sports or you've ever watched a team like the women's national soccer team, you know what solidarity can do, and you know what a lack of solidarity can do when you have some hot shot on your team who just wants the ball all the time, right? That can, like, rip apart a team, and you will lose every single game. Talent individually alone does not make for a team, nor does it make for a great community. Solidarity is everything. What is solidarity? It's a unity of affection, of action, of identity. You know people are in solidarity with others when they say, I'm in this with you. I got your back. I'm for you. Let me carry that with you. You're not alone. You're not going to walk alone on this, I got you. Let me carry this with you. When you find a solidarity like that in a real-life human community, every single human being on the face of the planet wants to be a part of it. Isn't that true? The reason we love to go to Stout House is because we walk in, they know us, and we belong there, and they're like for us. So we feel this like solidarity. We have those spots around, not just to plug for Stout House, which is our favorite coffee shop, but also we have these places, these communities, these friends that we know through thick or thin, these people are going to be with us, right? They're going to carry our loads with us. Solidarity is everything. But it's also super hard to come by, and it's not easy to do. The truth is it's super hard, actually, to cultivate, to build solidarity in community, where it's all for each and each for all. But when we do come across those kinds of communities, we stay, we stick. There's something that's lasting about it. We would, and most people would much rather enjoy the safety of being around people who are like us, who have similar interests in us. They may not have our back. There may not be an actual solidarity, but you know, most of the time, we're okay with that as long as we're around people. But there's not going to be a lot of conflict, not a lot of disagreement. We can all kind of like relate to the same things. It's just easier. And I totally get it. That's not totally wrong or it's, you shouldn't avoid that. I get it. It just naturally happens. But that version of solidarity is, is not the same kind of solidarity that Paul is talking about that the church should actually always have in community. 
you're an Astros fan, you stick around Astros fans, right? I get it. If you play soccer like I do, you find people who like to play soccer with you or watch soccer games, it's fine. But the community of Christians isn't, listen to this, the community of Christians or the church isn't determined by our similar interests or our similar affections. Get this, what makes the church isn't that you love Jesus. Because guess what, you'll like fall out of love with Jesus or be less interested in times and the church still exists. That's really good news actually. What determines the church is not something of who we are or how we're feeling or the kind of interests we can find and connect with others in. What determines the community of the church is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so solidarity is this gift that's given to the church that's decided and determined not by us or our interests or however we're feeling, but is decided by someone outside of us who has graced us with an identity, with a solidarity. This point, the single point in all of this wonderful passage that we just read in Galatians, this point is the point that Paul, who is dictating to his scribe writing this letter to the church in Galatia, says, give me that pen. I'm going to write this with my own hand. Can't you see these large letters that I'm writing with my own hand? Do you remember that part in the reading? Such a weird thing to be interrupted in this letter. Me, Paul, is, I'm writing this myself because I want to underscore how critical this is for you, church. I hope you're listening. This is from my own hand. And in verse 12, he writes this. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised. I'll explain that in a second. Only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. It's those who want to put on good appearances, in other words. Make the show. Publicly, you know, have it together. Who worry about the kind of precedent that the church might set if we let those kinds of people into our community. Oh, my goodness. What are others going to think if we, do, if we welcome even those people? But their motivations, Paul points out, are only so that they won't have to suffer the judgment of other people or the harassment of the world for who they're hanging out with. You can see why Paul's pretty adamant about arguing against this. And the thing is, Paul points out the hypocrisy, even those people who want to put demands on you on how you can belong in this community through circumcision, even those folks don't really abide by their own rules, by their own standards and expectations that they're putting on others. Verse 13 says this, even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. Okay, let's talk about circumcision real quick. I won't do a show of hands who's circumcised or not, but can you imagine that kind of like who's in on the church, raise your hand if you're circumcised. That, so this was like a real issue in the early church community. What do you do with people who want to be in your church who are not circumcised? And I know we can't appreciate that, but circumcision for, for the Jews was a mark of the covenant of God on his people, the thing that decided who was his. So you could see this tension that people have like, oh my gosh, these non-Jews who have not been circumcised want to get in on this? Well, they have to go through the same thing we went through. 
I'm sure it was painful, so you can, I can, you can appreciate, like, yeah, they got to be initiated the same way that I had to be initiated. They have to observe the Jewish law, the Torah, the way we had to observe it if they want to get in on the blessing of God and his church. I'm, I, it feels remote, but you can appreciate where they're coming from a little bit, right? This was a real issue. The problem is, this isn't how people enter into the church, right? Nor is it the thing that makes the church distinctly one with solidarity as an integral whole, the church. That's not how these things are made. Paul argues earlier in verse 2 in chapter 6. He says, basically, if you really want to keep the law, those of you who are trying to push circumcision on others, you really want to keep the law here, I'll give you a law to keep. Keep the law of Christ. What does he mean by that? As Christ carried your cross, you know what? You want to keep a law. Then, then in reference to the way Christ, Christ, Christ carried your cross, you should be so eager and willing to bear one another's burdens. Carry each other's crosses. If you want to keep a law, keep the law of love with your neighbor, not judgment. The law of giving oneself in love and humility for the sake of others, in their service, for their good. If you really want to keep a law, I'll give you a law to keep, Paul argues. And when things need to be made right, don't be proud or stubborn. Don't be above the law. Don't be someone who can't hear correction or give it gently. But instead, approach this wrong with gentleness and humility. Why? Because tomorrow, guess what? You may be the one that needs to be corrected. We are free to live together based on something that is no credit of our own. That wasn't the case before. In most, Christian, in most communities, there's some sort of way, something you have to do to get in. But in the church, in the Christian community, what is required for you to get in has already been given to you, issued to you, stamped on you, marked on you by the work of Christ on the cross. And so everyone is welcome in. The cross is now that sign, no longer circumcision. The cross is that sign that marks us as members of the church, as people who are inside God's family, welcome into his own household as his own child. This is what Paul argues again, verse 14. Can I read this? Verse 14 and 15 for us. Paul comes to this conclusion and he says this, May I never boast, therefore, of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. Think of how, I mean, I know we've read this, right? Some of us have read this before, but think of how radical this is. To be beneficially, beneficially and graciously defined by something that you did not earn. Something, in fact, you don't deserve. Something you didn't weasel your way into. You didn't get into the right school to get this one. You don't know the right people to get this one. There's no job, there's no income, there's no ethnicity or political party that gives you an edge on being inside on what the church is that Jesus has welcomed you into. 
This is incredible. This is why so many of us, you'll see, I know we're using our bodies a lot. By the way, next week we have a liturgy tour, so if you want to know what that's all about, go to the liturgy tour. But have you ever seen people do this in the service? Pam's seen someone do it. There's one person. Anybody else seen anyone? The sign of the cross. Thank you, Pam. No one's seen it? Okay, Bethany, great. Okay, so two people have seen others make the sign of the cross. Sometimes we do this thing where we make the sign of the cross. And you know what that's all about? It's a prayer with our bodies saying, the cross of Jesus Christ defines me more than anything else in my life. This is now what marks me. This is what rescues me. This is who I am. Yes, Lord, I receive that identity in you. So some may go, amen. Others may say, amen. To this body, to me, that cross has been imprinted upon me. And now nothing defines me like the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's who I am. Defines is really a weak word, actually. In Christ, as Paul says, you are a new creation. There's something that's, that's made there that wasn't made before. Something that was added to you, was made about you, that you really didn't contribute too much, if at all. You're just there. And the Lord has graced his, his presence upon you and has adopted you as his child and said, you're mine. New creation. Paul says that's everything. That's a game changer. All that matters now isn't anything we've accomplished, but the grace of God that has been unleashed on us and in the world bringing about this kingdom of God, this new creation. Now, I know that um, this may seem ridiculous to some, or maybe this is really hard to believe, uh, receiving the grace of God and the cross of Jesus and being identified, being made a new creation, welcomed into the household of God. That sounds really sweet, but I think in real life, as we go into the world, this is something that's actually really hard to swallow and stick with and live into, right? On top of that, add like a jerk in your life and you're still trying to live into this. Add someone who's trying to put you down or insult you or get in your way or obstruct you or frustrate you and now you're still supposed to live with the sign of the cross on you? Is this realistic? Can we really receive this? For others, it may even be really humbling to receive salvation in this way. No, I, I, I can't just be a, a taker in this, John. I got to do something. I, there's got to be something involved that I have to do. I'm not, I'm not going to believe in some story of some rabbi 2,000 years ago who was tortured and, and killed on this cross that that somehow is going to save me. I'm like so above that. It's so 2019 now, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to even acknowledge that. Maybe hard to believe, maybe humbling to receive. But did y'all hear that, that story in, in uh, Kings, Second Kings of Naaman? This mighty warrior king who had leprosy, eating him alive. And he came to the prophet, the prophet, so we didn't come to the prophet, he came to the king. And the king was like, who does he think I am? Go to the, the prophet said, look, Elisha said, look, I, I can actually heal this person. Go bathe in the dirty Jordan River seven times and receive this cure. And his first reaction to this, go bathe in this dirty river invitation was, is he insulting me? What? Aren't there better rivers? Isn't there something else that I can do to be clean? This is so beneath me, so hard to receive. I would have to humble myself to receive this cure. But friends, this is how God works. 
actually, when he offers us a rescue, when he offers us the cleansing of sin, it's never really like a dignified thing. It's never like, look at me, I'm a Christian and I'm saved. No, it's actually someone who has their arm, their hands open on their knees in tears, broken, humbled, ready to receive whatever salvation that God can give to them. Someone who's totally open, who has abandoned all of their tools, all of their ways, all of their efforts to save themselves. We've abandoned those things and we say, we have nothing left but you, God. What do you have? I turn to you. I'll even bathe in the dirty Jordan River. The saving work of God, it demands that we set aside our own terms. The things we think that would disqualify us. Nah, God couldn't save me because of who I am, what I've done. We have to set that aside too. Or our need to work just a little bit for God's help. I want to make sure I, I deserve this. We have to set all that aside as well. Like when friends invite us over for dinner, what's the question we ask? Hey, come over for dinner on a text. And we say what? What can I bring? And they say, oh, just bring yourself. And you're like, ah, so irritating. No, but seriously, that's a great example of the grace of God. He says, come home. Let me wash you clean. Let me make you a new creation. I have the words of life that can speak new creation to you. And you say, yeah, but... What can I bring? What can I do? I gotta, there's got to be something I can do, right? I don't want to be a bad guest. And God says, just come. Humble yourself. Just come home. Don't bring anything. Just bring yourself. Be bathed of sin and made new in the waters of baptism. Come and be washed. I'll do the washing. You, you just have to bring all the dirt, okay? Just come and I will bathe you. Come with a, a penitent heart, meaning a heart that is broken and saying, I have done so much wrong. I've gotten so much wrong in my life. I, I'm just a screw up. I've, I've, I've hurt people. I've hurt myself. There's just so much I've not gotten right in my life. And I admit that. That openness, that humility, that's all we can bring to the waters of baptism. There's so many. This takes, I'm not joking, you guys. I, I wish I could just sit down with each one of you and say, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? Because I can't tell you how many people I've sat down with over a lifetime, people well into their older age, sitting down with talking with them as they try and wrap their head around the grace of God. And we have heard that word grace so many times, but I can't tell you how many people I've known who I've talked to who actually just don't get it. But then when they do get it, that it's not their faithfulness that saves them, but it's Christ's faithfulness that saves them. That their salvation isn't determined by what they can bring to the party, but only by what they can receive, what they can open themselves to receive. That changes lives. That's everything. That is new creation kind of material. Our ability to open up our bodies and our lives and our hands and receive the mark of the cross on our lives for our sake. And we have only to respond in faith, to be humble, to this news, that the cross, in fact, is sufficient to save us. It's enough. We don't have to add anything to it. That his resurrection, it actually makes you people a new creation people, a people who live in resurrection life, not like the world around you. It's, if it feels different, it's because it's radically different. You should feel a little outsider-ish as you walk around 
the world as a resurrection person, a new creation. Things you do are going to be weird. Get used to it. To be received into the household of God as his own child takes some getting used to. Now, I think about all of the personal benefits that gives to someone. I think that changes everything for someone. But now think about when you put that person in a group of people, in a community, the benefit, the change that would happen to a community. You know what it makes? When a people receive that grace and that identity, it makes a profound solidarity. Profound, an invincible solidarity. Nothing can break the solidarity that the cross has put upon a community. A unity of identity, not based on any cultural, ethnic, or economic identifier. Only the death of Christ is what sets the terms for your welcome into his community, his church. Amen? Only the cross of Jesus sets the terms for your welcome into his church. Nothing else. The cross is the great leveler. It puts us all on the same level. Peer to peer, eye to eye, brother to sister. And when a neighborhood like ours witnesses a community marked like that, you know what they see? They see just how beautiful Jesus' life is. They see the beauty of the gospel. They look at a community like that and say, how in the world are that many diverse, really weird looking people, really weird acting people, just strange people, how are they all in one community getting along, loving one another, bearing each other's loads and burdens? What do they have in common? What's the deal? This doesn't make sense. You should all be all white or all Mexican or all lower class. Or don't you want to just hang out with your upper class friends? Don't you just want to hang out with the people just like you? And a contrast community in a world like this is this radical juxtaposition of the gospel in a very broken world. People see this and they're dumbfounded. That's what the gospel does when we live it together. Rez, I know uh, that this is actually you. When I was thinking about this sermon... I'm like, how can I encourage our folks? You know, you guys do this super well. In fact, the thing that people say when they visit our community all the time is like, oh, I was so welcomed. Every kind of person who has ever visited our church, come in contact with our community, been in our table groups, they've all said, wow, this is like such a welcoming community. I, I feel like I could belong here. We have such diversity in our church, but it all fades to the background of the cross of Jesus. And that doesn't mean we don't have differences or that we don't run into hard things with each other in our community. But it does mean that when we do come in contact with those things, I've seen it. You all are so eager to bear each other's burdens. When someone has a baby, there's like 50 meal train things going on, you know, like those kinds of things. When someone goes into the hospital or if someone loses a loved one due to death or illness, I've seen you all rally together and bear one another's burdens. And yes, when people have uh, issues of their own and they, they take responsibility for their actions, we should do that. This doesn't relegate that. This doesn't mean dismiss that, that we shouldn't have to do that. We still have to take responsibility for our own actions. But this does mean that nobody walks alone. Even when they make mistakes, nobody walks alone in this parish. I love that about you guys. I love it because it's the gospel like actually taking root in our lives. I think we actually believe it. So we want to urge you, Rez, don't neglect the solidarity that God has gifted our church. The oneness that he's made by his cross. Be present to others in this community. Just show up. 
Don't neglect coming to church, for instance, or being at your table groups, or being at our classes, or whatever other events. Come, be present. It's just a real practical way of being with people is by actually being with them. Believe it or not, in this digital age, we have to say that. Show up. Not just for what you can get out of church, how entertaining it is for you, what benefit you get from the mediocre sermon. Like, ah, you know, it's okay. Don't show up to church for what you get out of it, but remember that you are sitting right next to people who need you to be sitting right next to them because sometimes they need you to hold up their faith with them. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes stuff goes down in people's lives and they need others within reach that can walk through this with them. So it's so important, not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the person sitting next to you. And if you're not sitting next to someone, go find someone and sit next to them. Be with each other. Resist the temptation to hide your baggage or carry it alone secretly. Don't do that. That's where the devil lives. Trust me, he'll get you. Don't do that. Don't hide. Your baggage isn't any worse than anything else we've got in this church. Trust me, I've heard it all. You're not that special. And you're not alone. This morning, we have a time of healing prayer. Uh, every, every month we do a, a, a time of healing prayer. And I want to invite you as we come forward for healing prayer in a minute. Um, for those of you who have needs for healing prayer personally, please come forward. But I also want to invite those of you who want to come forward on behalf of others, on behalf of this community and the ways that we can be um, praying for our community as a whole, ways that our community may need to be healed. And even, can I ask you to come forward on behalf of our neighborhood in South Austin, ways that our neighborhood could be prayed for and healed. I want our healing prayer time to be, uh, to express that solidarity, that carrying one another's burdens that Christ invites us to live into. So this morning, let's continue to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit's doing, enjoying this life together in the goodness of God that he's actually bestowed upon us so that the world and ourselves will see just how beautiful this life with Jesus really is. Amen? Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.